Hello and welcome to Sir Thriver Unleashed. I'm Reno Romano, your host and a Sir Thriver and advocate for survivors of child sexual abuse and sexual assault. This show is all about the endless positive possibilities of Sir Thriving after sexual abuse. So let's get started with today's program. Welcome to today's show. I'm so excited. My guest today is Julie Tesh, and she's a nonprofit executive speaker, author, and blogger. She loves sharing her life story and helping others through telling her story of sexual assault, coming back stronger in life. She's worked in the seat of power out of Washington, D.C., but she finds her true power helping others back in the heartland of the Midwest through her servant leadership. And Julie is a survivor of sexual assault. Thanks for being here today, Julie. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. I'm excited to have you. And I'm going to tell everybody, we started doing this last week, this interview, and my computer froze up and... (laughs) And we were we were on a roll and she said, well, maybe we could just pick it up. And I'm like, you know, I I don't like to paste and edit and do all that stuff. And because I think it was just maybe meant to be something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be okay. So you are a survivor of sexual assault. Will you tell us briefly a little bit what happened and when you decided to get help? Sure. Um, So I am a survivor of sexual assault uh, as an adult. It actually happened uh, October 19th, 2014. And I know a lot of people don't think of adult sexual assault. They might think of teen or college, but, you know, it definitely happens all throughout life. And so I was sexually assaulted by, excuse me, by a stranger in Washington, D.C. And um, I don't remember anything. I was blacked out. I still contend I may have been drugged, but by the time I got to the hospital, um, it had been long enough that the blood work came back with nothing. And so um, I was out in Washington, D.C., had a great executive job, loved it. All of a sudden this happens. I was on the top of the world and I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, what, what just happened? And, you know, it's one of those things where you think you know what you would do if, it, if you're ever in that circumstance, but you really, you really don't know until you're there. And so I was very fortunate that I had my boss who took me to the hospital, actually, to two hospitals, actually. Wow. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It took two hospitals. But uh, she, long story short, she got me there and stayed with me. And my friends out there really rallied around me. And it was about three weeks to a month later when I sought help. Um, I knew I needed to go see a counselor or a therapist. I had done that before. Um, I've, I've struggled with depression for a long time, but I knew obviously that this was different. And so I decided, I'm like, okay, I need, I need to go and do this. And quite honestly, um, in being naive, I thought that I could knock it out pretty quick Mm -hmm. and go. And, you know, like I was doing the research I'm like, okay, how long does this take to get over? You know, it's not like a broken foot. And, you know, I was pretty convinced being an overachiever that I could done with this you know, healing or whatever within six months. And, you know, I was just coming out of shock after six months. Yeah, I get that. And I'm glad you brought that up, Julie, because there is no time limit on healing. And um, 
you do. I understand. We want to get where we feel broken. We want to fix it now. Fix it. Put a Band-Aid on it. Let's go. Suture me up, whatever it takes. But that's so not the case. And so how long? So it happened. You went to two different hospitals. Mm -hmm. When did you start therapy? Um, I started therapy about three weeks after the assault. And you know, I was still new in town. I had only been in the Washington, D.C. area about 11 months. Oh, wow. And so, yeah. So I really, I didn't know where to turn to. And so I asked some friends, you know, where do you go? And I couldn't really find anything. So I just kind of went by what my insurance said. And I was extremely fortunate. I prayed. I'm like, please let me find someone that I click with because I've had experiences before where I just didn't click with the person. And I found an amazing therapist. Actually, I had two therapists. So I did had my one that I saw a couple times a week for a while. But then um, once we really started getting into things, I had a second therapist where I did EMDR therapy. And so what that is was that? Can you can you explain that to the audience? Yeah, I can't quite remember what the acronym means, but basically you are recounting and reliving the experience. It's almost like you're in a trance in a way. And so I had like, I followed it. Eye movement. Yep. It's eye movement. Yep. It's eye movement. EMDR. Eye movement. But yeah, it's the eye movement. And so you kind of get into like this zone and then you just start, you know, whatever comes to mind. And so that's, that is really how I healed the most. Um, I would go on Saturdays or Sundays for, and we would do a double session. We would do an hour and a half. And um, it was, it was painful. It was, excruciating, but that's, I think what really got me, got me through. Um, and I did them on the weekends because I knew I would be exhausted afterwards. So I could go home and sleep. And I, I literally would go home and sleep rest of the day. And it's amazing because that's, you know, I didn't know much about how the brain works and sleep. And I am a master sleeper. I love to sleep. And so when my my doctors and my therapists were saying, no, you need to, you need to rest. I'm like, yes, finally, I have a prescription to rest, but yeah, I didn't know how much rest it took. And I'm glad you brought that up too, because, um, I would, when I was going through group therapy, it was once a week, every night after work. And so I would go home. And it's important for people to know any healing that you're doing. I even know when I go to the chiropractor, I don't plan anything after that because my body needs time to heal and rest. So you don't want any activities after any type of therapy or session like that. You want you want to heal. You want to go home and relax and have some quiet time. So I'm glad that you brought that up because that's important. It really is. And and. I always thought that I I want to say that I thought I took care of myself. I thought I took care of myself rather decently, but then you start realizing about self-care and what that really means. Yeah. And and I traveled a lot for work at the time. And so I wasn't getting the rest I needed. I I wasn't doing the thing, making the healthy choices, excuse me, maybe that I should be with eating and moving and stuff. And so just realizing that, that, that I shouldn't feel guilty about rest. And and I still carry that to this day, um, you know, almost six years later, I, I am not, I don't feel guilty about taking a nap. I don't feel guilty about any of that. And that's a win in my book. I, I work, I know where my, my power zones are for, for when I'm best, most productive. And 
I try to go by those and now I can work yeah. from home right now. And so I can do that. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah. I mean, we say the word self-care and we kind of know it on the surface, but really self-care is sleeping when you need to sleep, not having any activities after therapy or a doctor's appointment, um, even exercising, you know, you want to come home and relax, take that shower, get cleaned up and just have that me time. So self-care is very important. And I'm so glad that you recognize that. And it took me a while to recognize that I'm a napper. So nappers unite. unite. I like that. <laughs> My dog loves it when I go nap. I have a little recliner that I lay back in and he gets underneath the, the foot area. So he, he loves the nap time too. <laughs> He's, that sounds like my cat. She does the same thing. Yeah. They love it. And they love to be with us too. Yep. Well, good for you. You, but you, you were in Washington, D.C. This happens, it sounded like, not too long after you arrived there. Right. Um, but you ended up going back to the, the Midwest. And where is it that you live? Yeah. So in I live state? in southern Minnesota. Okay. So yeah. I'm in Minnesota. And so the assault happened. I had been there about 11 months. And then, so that was 2014. And I stayed out there until two, uh, July 1st of 2017 and moved back to Minnesota. So I actually live on my family's farm, which I never anticipated until I was maybe retired. So I right. grew up on a farm here in southern Minnesota and I loved it. And I actually work worked in the agricultural and the rural field. Um, but I always thought I'd live in the city and, and coming back to rural America is that was another part of my healing. Um, I didn't realize how much I didn't feel safe where I was and I didn't realize how much I missed space just to be able to do things. Right. Um, you know, living in a, in a high rise, you know, I was on the top floor. I was like the Jeffersons, you know, <laughs> high rise in the sky. I was up there and it was great, but it, it's such a compact, dense area that, I just didn't have the space and I needed that space to be able to heal and I needed yeah. to be around family as well. And it's good that you recognize that because you, you, you left rural Midwest to go follow your dreams. And then your dreams seemed like it got shattered and you had to move back home, but it really turned out home can be a healing place too. It really can. And, you know, at first I was very defeated because um, I came home and I had been on my own for 15, 17 years and come home and living in my parents' basement, you know, that and unemployed. I lost my job because I, of my PTSD. And, you know, that's a tough pill to swallow. But at the same time, it was a huge relief. And I know not everyone has that luxury of having a family that they can come back to. But it was good. It was really good for me. And I think it was, I know it was good for my family too, because, you know, being assaulted affects your whole family. And I feel mm -hmm. like, you know, my parents and my sister could keep an eye on me more instead of calling me multiple times a day on what are you doing? How are you feeling? And it's like, I'm here, I'm good, you know, but, but coming back to, to uh, the, the town that I'm from is 200 people. And, you know, going back to church and realizing that like my old English teacher is still there. And people wow. I grew up with, you know, it, it was it was very grounding for me um, because I'm a very independent person. So living out in D.C. or in Indianapolis, other places I've lived, you know, it's on my terms. Right. And it's great. But I didn't realize how much energy that took. So coming home was very grounding. 
Good for you. And unfortunately for millions of survivors from childhood sexual abuse or sexual assault, their assault has taken place in their home as mine did. And so I moved as far away from Kansas City to Florida and I thought about going home and I went and it was the coldest snowstorm ever. And I ended up staying in Florida, but finding that and staying in Florida was very healing for me. And I think that's important. Another piece that you brought up, we have to go where we feel comfortable and safe to heal. And so if you're not comfortable where you're at, it's okay to look for another place. Like I was in group therapy before that I went through two therapists that I wasn't comfortable with and because I wasn't healing with them. Mm -hmm. And it's all about us. It is. And that's difficult. It's difficult to be, to put us number one. Exactly. I like to take care of people. Um, I like to, that's how I was raised. That's what I like to do. I like to help people and focusing on myself was still to this day, the hardest thing I've ever had to do. You know, I tried to deflect so many times and, you know, thank goodness for my therapists because they're like, no, we're not talking about your friend. (laughs) <laughs> We're talking about you. Would you talk to yourself that way? No, I wouldn't. And right, you know, right. So it it's hard because I feel you feel selfish, but it's not, you know. And I knew not. I wanted to get to a better place where I could be functioning and contributing again. So, Julie, um, you know, talking about being selfish. When did you come to that point in your healing process that you? that you knew it was about you, you needed to make it number one, your, you are number one priority. When did you stop feeling that this was selfish? You know, I would put it into steps. Probably I would say going to get help right away. I knew that I needed to do that to care for myself, but I didn't know to what depths. And then I would say probably six to nine months later, going through the EMDR and realizing how traumatized I was that that was another level. And then I think when it finally really hit me that, no, I have to do this for myself just to survive is I ended up taking a leave of absence from work. And so that was in 2016. So it was about, it was two years after the assault realized because I am, have always been driven by my work. That is how I have identified myself in the past. I try not to do that anymore, but work really identified me and taking a leave of absence from work was me finally saying, okay, enough. I, I need to focus on myself. And so it took a while and it came in stages, but I, I did what was best for me. And, and I was fortunate that, that my therapist is like, no, I've been waiting for you to come to this realization that, you know, you need radical rest and you, you need to take that. And it's not selfish. Good for you. Good for you. And because a lot of us do feel selfish and we don't take that time for ourselves, and we don't take that healing time and we need it. Mm-hmm. And it, it you know, we've always put people first, other people first, and it's time to put us first. So that's why I said, you know, a lot of, we say self-care, it's kind of on the surface there, but we really need to go deep and, and self-care is different from, for each person. What, what helps you heal? It may not work for me. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So. I totally agree. You know, I think of even uh, when I lived out in the DC area in, in my apartment, I could see a gym. Like it was just a block and a half away and I always wanted to go there, but 
I was afraid to go outside because my PTSD and anxiety were so bad. Even if I would go out during the daylight, I was afraid if I walked there that something would happen because I was assaulted by a stranger. And so I knew that moving my body was good, but I, I didn't do it. And so it's just recently that I've started exercising more again. I did take up yoga when I was out there. Yoga really helped. Um, I didn't realize I would like it as much as I did, but finding another way to calm your mind has been really good. So I've kept that up for a few years and, and, you know, I feel, I feel safe walking on our country road because there for, Oh, probably a year, year and a half when I moved back, I did not feel safe walking by myself. Mm. Um, and if, or if I did, I would let my parents or my sister or somebody know that I'm on a walk. Just, right. Again, you're, you're just processing through that. Well, I think that's safe anyway, whether you've been assaulted or not. Nowadays, I think that's safe to let people, you're going on a walk and this is what I'm doing. And because yeah. of the crazy world that we live in. But um, so you left D.C. Did you leave on a positive note? I mean, are you doing what's and what type of work are you doing now? Mm-hmm. So when I was out in D.C., um, I was working for a nonprofit. I was the head of a nonprofit in in the education and agricultural world. And I left on a, I would say, it's a high note, but it's a low note as well. Um, I left without a job and without a job prospect. But I left the day before the day before I flew out of Washington, D.C. was the day of my attackers um, sentencing. So went through the whole trial, went, what he, we struck a plea deal, but I got as far as I could. And I was impressed that I was even able to get to sentencing um, because it, it took about a year and a half to two years for the police department to take things more seriously. It, t- it took uh, going through a few detectives and then he finally pushed it. And so um, I left we did sentencing. I gave my victim impact statement. And the next day I hopped on a plane and came back here. And, and, and it, it was just like a huge, it was a huge relief. Right. Right. Well, so we're doing, we're, I'm, I've been testifying to have a rape tracking at rape kit tracking system in Florida. Mm-hmm. Apparently you went to the hospital right away. And so his DNA was, uh, taken. And so he was able to be found. Unfortunately, a lot of survivors don't have that and they don't get that justice. I have a friend, her name is Gail and it's called Gail's law, which is the rape kit tracking program, which we're testifying. And she was raped. And then he went on to rape 15 other. Yeah. Because there was nothing in place for this. So I think that's important. And I'm glad that you were able to get some justice Mm -hmm. that he was, that he was caught. Do you think that that helps in the healing process as well? Absolutely. Um, Knowing that I I didn't, I didn't feel believed Mm -hmm. for a long time. I, you know, I distinctly remember one night at home late at night, I just woke up in the middle of the night and just having a panic attack and I, I had read an article about being overlooked and I didn't realize how much that affected me and how deep that was. And it from other parts of my life throughout, throughout my life, because when you put other people first, you end up being overlooked. And yeah. so then with this process of them, they talked to my attacker 
once or twice immediately after because they knew who it was. They had video. They knew who it was. Oh, yeah. I mean, this, in theory, it should have been open and shut. Right. And it was anything but. Um, They knew who it was. And then they talked to him a couple of times and he basically said, talk to my lawyer. And then nobody followed up for a year, year and a half. And then they said, you know, your case isn't strong enough. And I found this third detective who said, no, I, your case has merit. I'm going to push it. So, I mean, yeah. it's all there. It was all there, but um, yeah. So it, you just, you do what you can and, and you get out there and, and going through that process was re-traumatizing. Um, you know, my detective told me, he said, he was, you have to think really hard about one, what justice means to you. And number two, do you want to put yourself through this? Um, and, and my former brother-in-law or my brother-in-law at the time said the same thing. He's a detective. And he said, he goes, I've seen this ruin people more than the assault. And I still remember standing on, on the mall, the mall at the, at the United States Capitol, you know, standing there on my phone with my brother-in-law and thinking, I'm like, I've made it this far. I, I'll be fine. And you know, we, we, we reached a plea deal, but that did about break me. That, yeah. It's that tough. was as close as I could get. Um, and, and they kept on pushing back, uh, the, the trial and sentencing. I mean, it got pushed back, I think four or five times. Mm. And so it just kept on building up, but, uh, I'm glad I did it. I'm glad you did it. Congratulations. Bravo to you. And because you are showing other survivors what is possible after trauma and going through it and getting justice. My perpetrators are dead. I'll never get justice in a court of law. Uh, Again, I testified for Donna's law here, which um, eliminates the statute of limitation for child sexual abuse. Man, because I'll never get justice my perpetrators are dead. And so by you sticking with it and being determined will give hope and healing to other survivors. So congratulations. Thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. And so I, talking yeah. about it, does it help heal? Absolutely. Because up until that point, when not many people knew, um, the people that knew about my assault were my immediate family, a couple of close friends here in Minnesota. And then some close friends out in Washington, D.C. who had been with me the entire time. So I was, I didn't realize how much I needed to talk. And mm. I, it was so bottled up because, you know, you like to compare yourself to people, which I think I've gotten better about. I'm not sure. But, you know, you see people at work and it's like, I don't want them to know that anything's wrong. You know, my my goal early on was I'm going to get through this. And then I'll tell everyone and they'll be like, wow, we had no clue. Good for her. You know, and that's sad. That's really sad that that was the goal, but it was at the time. And once I could tell my story, I, I, it it was the floodgates. Yeah. Floodgates started opening and I, you know, started talking about it, moved back to Minnesota and I could at least use, you know, like, Oh, I'm looking for a different job. Wanted to come home, this and that, but it was, I, I started a blog and that's when it really writing and speaking really helped me dig through some things. Good for you. You know, I never kept a journal or never wrote anything down. I think if I wrote it, it even made it more real, mm-hmm. made it real. And I didn't want it to be, but I always said, I'm going to write a book. And it took 20 years from, from the first time I said it to write it. So 
Um, he writing can be very healing. So tell me about your blog. Are you still doing that? Yeah, uh, not as active as I was. I started the blog in 2017. So that was uh, the fall after. So a few months after I moved back and it's called Stop This World. And I don't know. I, I know how I came to it, but I don't. It just kind of came to me like I just wanted the world to stop. And I like Diana Krall and she has a song called Stop This World. And so mm -hmm. I resonated with that. And at that, you know, I'm just like, nope, this is what it's going to be. And there were a lot of resources for me that were available, but I still had a hard time connecting dots, you gotcha. know, and, and not that my blog brings the dots together, but the blog for me is a way to tell my story so that people know what happened. And, and especially with mental health, know that it's okay. You know, especially here in a rural area, bad news travels fast, right? You know, and, um, you know, my family was concerned that I wouldn't get a job. They're like, oh. people, you know, if you were assaulted, will people, will you get a job? And that was the last thing I was thinking of. I'm like, I do not care. I, you right. know, I did some consulting and, and whatnot, but I did, I didn't care. And so writing that blog, it was really interesting. There was the feedback from people that I grew up with that, were shocked, number one. And number two, just had general questions because they hadn't known anyone that had been assaulted before, yeah. or at least no personally known. They probably know somebody, but they don't know. They don't story. know it. They don't know it. Right. Actively know it. Yeah, they know, but they don't, don't know. I, and I get that. Yeah. Well, good for you. And this is something that I talk about in my TEDx talk that we don't let the event define us. What we need to concentrate, what we must concentrate on is our courage, strength, and tenacity to persevere during and after the event. That's what defines us. So when somebody says, don't let your past define you, I say, oh, yes, it does. Because I don't look at the event. I look at the courage it took to get through that. And you're, you are a true survivor. You're showing that Julie by uh, stepping up and persevering and sharing your story. And whether you stayed in DC or go home to heal, we all have to do what's best for us for that self-care. So let me ask you this, when you do start uh, finding yourself slipping back maybe into that dark area of the trauma or what happened. What do you do to put yourself back into a positive path? Um, it depends. Um, I, I have seasonal effectiveness disorder. So here in Minnesota, mm. it gets dark pretty early in the winter. And that's when I struggle more is I rely on the light. I mean, my house is full of windows. Um, so I, it's a great day. The sun is out. The snow is melting. It's wonderful. Yay. And so I struggle more in the winter. Um, I have a little light that I sit on my, uh, desk every day, um, to, to get the light simulation. But as much as I hate exercising, exercising really does something and nothing strenuous, just doing yoga in the morning, going for a walk. I, I just need to do something. And then also, I find that writing helps too. And it might not be, and it might not be for the blog. It might not even be for a journal, but just kind of going through my thoughts because I can start making sense of like, Oh, you were bottling this up. Okay. 
you know, let's do this. And I have, I have not been to a therapist in about a year. Um, I was starting to see one when the pandemic hit. Right. And then everything happened and I decided that I wanted to see someone in person. So until I can do that, and, and I don't, right now, I feel like I'm in a good place, good. but, but you know, you do, you, you're afraid that you're going to slip back because it's such a scary place. And, you know, I, sometimes I'll share that with somebody and be like, Hey, I'm afraid that this might be happening. And then at least somebody knows that if I start exhibiting some different habits that like, Hey, you might want to think about this. But since and I've been back here, it's been pretty good. Good for you. And don't be afraid to ask for help or reach out to someone. I'm in a dark place. Yeah. Um, Cause I, I even live in Florida and I have dark modes. I go, it's like a tidal wave. We're not always happy. We're not always on a high. We're, we're not always on a low, but those lows can be strong and uh, dark sometimes, but just know, acknowledge them, affirm it, say, okay, I know this is happening, but it's not going to last. And tomorrow's going to be a sunny day. And yeah. And even though I live in Florida, I mean, we do get cloudy days. I like to have all the lights on in the house, especially when I'm cooking. Mm -hmm. Everything in the kitchen and the family room, I want all the lights on. It makes me feel alive. So light therapy is really good. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it. There's something to be said about being around people as well. Um, you know, I've lived on my own for 20 some years and I did. And I, I like being independent. I like living on my own, but by living alone out in Washington, DC, I didn't have anyone to push me because I basically would hole up in my apartment. I would get done with work. I would go to my apartment, shut the door for the weekend and I would not leave. I would maybe go to church, maybe. And so being here, I have people who can check up on me and be like, Hey, we noticed that, you know, you didn't get out of your pajamas all weekends, everything. Okay. And you know what? Sometimes you just need those weekends, but other times it's like, "Eh." you know, so, so that has definitely helped here. Just having family to check in and actually see me because I can play a good game of I'm fine. I'm good. Everything's great. I, (sighs) I could, I could, I could win in a, you know, I could win a, an Oscar, an Oscar, and yeah, Emmy. Everything. I know. We yes, survivors. We know that. We know exactly what you're talking about right now. Yeah. How to wear the mask. We know how to put on that Oscar face. I, mm-hmm. I said that in my memoir, his puppet, no more. I could have won an Oscar because now, when I finally came out about the years of incest and the sexual assault, they're like, "What?" Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, because I put on that. I, I well, we learn it's a survival mechanism. Well, I am so glad that you're doing well. And I, I want to thank you for coming on the show and sharing your story and how you are persevering, because I think that is marvelous. So you're back in the Midwest. What's next for Julie? Gosh, you know, I'm just enjoying being content. I, I, I don't know if I've been this content in my entire adult life. Um, I've been in my my job for a little over two years now, and even with the pandemic, it's it's been going really well. I feel confident again in in my work, but I feel confident outside of work as well. So I'm looking forward to just enjoying being happy because we know that there's ebbs and flows through life, and I'm going to enjoy this hilltop or mountaintop right now, and and we'll see where the good Lord takes me. But it, it's this is a spot I. 
I always wanted to be in, but I didn't really know when I would get there. And it's taken, you know, a long time, but we made it. So that's a good point. It, Mm -hmm. our healing can go as quickly or as long as it needs to. And we're right where we need to be to get to the next point. So be patient, give yourself some grace and some space to become your potential. And, um, so thank you for sharing that. That's wonderful. If people want to get to know more about Julie Tash, where can they go? They can go to my blog at stopthisworld.org. And gosh, I've been blogging for a few years there. So stopthisworld.org. Or sorry, 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 sorry. Stopthisworld.com. I'm confusing that with my work stuff, my work. <laughs> so stopthisworld.com is, is where you'll find that. And, and I've started blogging more about other things as well. Um, so, you know, buying yourself flowers or just the state of the world. So starting to get picked up back in there more. Good for you. I like that point. And my husband brings flowers home once in a while, obviously for Valentine's, I just had a birthday, but uh, for the past couple of weeks, I will grab a bunch of flowers and I'll take them to my husband and I'm like, thank you so much for the flowers. (laughs) These are for you. But what I'm doing is taking a few of those flowers out of that bunch and I'm putting them in a smaller vase and putting them on my office desk. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's exactly it. You know, flowers were one of the few nice things I did for myself when I was holed up in my apartment. I live next to a grocery store and I would go and buy tulips or alstroemerias, whatever. And that was the one bright thing in my apartment that I was very intentional about. So just doing something like that, it, it really helps. Good for you, Julie. Well, thank you so much for coming in today and sharing your story and sharing your story of perseverance and rising above the assault, because that's what I want to share with survivors and encourage those who have not gotten help to get help, get healed and get happy. So thanks for being here today. I hope you had a good time. Well, thank you so much for having me. I greatly appreciate it. Good, good. Well, thanks for tuning in today. I've had a great time talking with Julie and I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Check her out. The show notes will be there where you can find her. And until next time, Sir Thriver, I wish you peace, love, and ciao for now. Mm